0: Open our lips, O God, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. You know the saying, be careful what you wish for, you might just get it. Jacob is wishing for the inheritance of his father, and he gets it, but it takes him to places he really didn't expect, or perhaps even want. We have this story today of Jacob's ladder. It's one of the more famous images in all of scriptures. Everybody from Flannery O'Connor to movie makers and songwriters have found it as a system, a, a sign of inspiration. And a little bit of background before we get into this image of, of God's action and vibrancy and vitality. In the reading last week, we learned about Jacob and his older twin brother Esau, who were born to Rebekah and Isaac. Um, Southerners can keep up with this kind of genealogy very easily. Northerners, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Esau. Just kind of hold that in your head. And we hear that when they are born, immediately the family goes into what today we'd call dysfunction. There are parental preferences. Isaac really likes Esau. Rebecca really likes Jacob. Esau is the one who goes out in the field and loves to hunt and bring home the game for For food for those who will cook and Jacob is the one who stays home in the tents as it is and with his mother and learns to cook and be around domestic things and so the parents have great affinity for their favorites and the parents don't have any trouble trying to help God from time to time do what they know God really wants you ever done that before you know, I know this is what God wants, and God seems a little slow or maybe preoccupied, so I'll just push it a little, you know. And so as they are growing up, Esau is one day out in the field, and he is, comes home, and he is famished. In fact, says, I'm about to die, I'm so hungry. And says to his brother Jacob, that stew you're cooking, I, I need some lest I, I perish, And Esau, and Jacob being the shrewd younger twin, says, you can have some if you give me your birthright, the inheritance. And Esau says, I'm sitting here dying. What do I care about an inheritance and a birthright? Fine, give me the food. Now i want to pause here and do a parenthetical note because there is a sermon right in that sentence of, I will give up my birthright for that warm meal how many times in my life have I given up my birthright, my dignity as a child of God for something I thought would make me safe or secure? We could be here for the next day, and if we made this an encounter group, we could come up with lots of stories where we sold our birthright for something we thought would make us well or safe or loved. But I'll just put a close on that parenthesis. Esau gives up his birthright, but I also think Esau was hedging because Esau remembered probably in the back of his head that while they may have had that verbal agreement, the real way that was transacted is that one day as Isaac was about to die, he would lay hands on the son who would receive the inheritance. And Esau figured, no way, my dad will not know who's who because I'm the, the strong one with the hairy arms and my brother Jacob is the one who has the fair arms and you know, not out lifting all these animals and stuff. But Rebekah, wanting to help God... And wanting Jacob to be the one to get the inheritance comes up with a plan to fake out Isaac and makes this great meal that Isaac wants and Isaac is blind by this time of his life and she knows too that Isaac that Jacob will probably not mistake the arms and who has hair and who doesn't so she sews animal hair skins onto his arms when he goes in there and Jacob goes in and Isaac says you sound a lot like Jacob but he grabs his arm he says, but you really must be Esau because you've got these hairy arms. I say a little more eloquent than that, but that's what they do. And so Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob. Esau, who's been out in the field, hears of it and is angered beyond measure and apparently tells some confidants, when my father Isaac dies, so will Jacob be dead. Rebecca gets wind of it and goes to Isaac and says, let's send Jacob to my brother Laban's house property yonder out there so he can find a wife. Because she's not going to get Isaac involved in all this. So Jacob is sent away out of the land. And that's where our story picks up today. Jacob, who wanted the inheritance, is now not only out of the land and out of the house, there's no inheritance in sight. And he is in this in between place where instead of having the inheritance and having, as we heard last week, ownership of the largest flocks in all the land, he is now going to work the flocks for his uncle Laban. And so he's in this place of desolation. He's certainly left what was behind him, but he's not yet to this other place and whatever it will hold for him. And he's exhausted physically emotionally spiritually it was all right there for the taking and now I have nothing and I'm in this desolate lonely cut off separated place not knowing what my life will be and so he lays down to sleep and he has this dream and as he goes into the dream he's probably thinking we had the promise of God and now I am so far from the promise of God But he has this dream of what we call Jacob's Ladder, and of the angels going back and forth and back and forth. And a lot of rabbis over the years have said, don't just think of it vertically, think of it more like an M.C. Escher picture where the ladders are going all over the place, because the action of God is that way, this vibrant life of God that's going on all around him. And Jacob thinks he's outside the promise somehow, And in this dream realizes I am right in the middle of the life of God. Jacob hears the voice say, All families on earth will be blessed by you. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing your life is like mine. We've had those moments, personally and communally, where we thought we had the promise. And then we find our place in some place of desolation, some devastation, where we feel like, has the promise been forgotten? Was the promise ever real? What I'm experiencing now, what we are experiencing now as a community seems so far from anything God would want. And when we're in those moments, we get the latter. We get the image of the angels ascending, descending, moving all around. God saying, my life is ever-flowing, and you are right in its midst. And you are connected to that. And so I find myself saying and wondering, what is it that keeps us connected? Particularly when we're not feeling like it particularly when the things around us don't seem to suggest connection. How do we keep this word from God, this experience, this sense of God in our midst? How do we stay connected? When we were flying to Cuba, the group of young people and adults, um, a couple of weeks ago, we got to that part of the flight where we were over the water. And you just see this large expanse of water. And I found myself really compelled by the water, looking at it. And you see boats going one way and another way in directions around. And I began pondering the water. And I began thinking about the life that was in that water, the life that was surging in that water, the vibrancy and vitality of that water. And then I thought of you could say, on the one hand, this is the water that separates our two lands. Or you could say this is the water that connects our two lands. And I suddenly had the sense and the image of all of these veins of water that were going into each of our land masses, literally. The veins of our connection, that we are not separate, we are not two different lands, we are part and connected deeply and intimately biologically by water one of the most universal realities of life. Water connecting us. Jacob's ladder was what comes to mind as I think about it. All the life and vibrancy of that water seeping its veins into our lives that we all share and by which we're connected. And there were many experiences of those connections Many experiences of those universal realities where we realize we're really not two separate peoples, we're human beings. One of the most fun was one day we realized that um, the daughter of the rector, the rector's name is Tulia, her husband Osmani, their daughter Susanna was going to be graduating the next morning from the sixth grade and having a sixth grade ceremony. And we said, hot dog, we're going. And, of course, we asked to make sure that this, you know, group of Yankees showing up wouldn't somehow be, you know, like, who are these people? But Susanna was very excited. And it was just like any other sixth grade graduation you've seen, someone working the AV system and playing music and lining up and all that kind of stuff. And it was great fun. And there was a moment where this sixth grade child came to a parent right in the row in front of us and brought her diploma And she and her mother had this beaming smile that they shared. I remember thinking, this is universal. This is about human relationships. This is what we all are connected by. I've seen these moments, you've seen these moments, of the joy of life. And there was experience after experience of those kind of just shared human realities that said, yes, we're connected. And the life of God is just flowing in and out and through us and into us and out of us and around us. And when we see the connectivity, when we open ourselves to the connectivity, we're like Jacob seeing the dream. I didn't realize, but I'm right in the midst of this. This is indeed a holy place. So Jacob is in a stripped-down place And I find myself wondering, why is it that the stripped down places of our lives are the ones that are so and most fruitful for revelation? About ourselves, about God, about the world, why is it in times of great tragedy we don't stop and ask, what party did you vote for? We don't ask, where were you born? Who was your mama? What country are you from? We just know we're connected, and if we're going to get through this, we've got to be connected. And why is it that in times that we think are plush, we think we have the luxury of letting that go? Jacob's in an in-between place. He knows that he's left Kansas, so to speak, and he has no idea what's coming. And in the midst of that, he gets this rich, rich imagery. And he hears the voice of God saying, I am going to continue to bless you and all families, all nations. This isn't just for your tribe, Jacob. This is for the whole world. And I will not stop until the promise is fulfilled. That's what he hears. He's in that in-between place. And really, if we think about it, isn't every moment of life an in-between place? You know that, that fantasy of there? When we get there, we keep buying it. That's one of the things I sell my birthright for. I'll, I'll get there if I just do that. And we realize that there is a fantasy or if at best it's the place from which God says, now that you're here, let's go there. Why Jesus says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head because we're always in in-between places, always being called by God to new understandings, new experiences, new relationships, new connections so that we might Experience and understand more deeply this life of God that the latter shows us, flowing in and all around us, calling us again and again to new places, new life. This fall, we as a community will be venturing into an in-between place. <clears throat> Excuse me. We mentioned in the annual report in the annual meeting back in January that for the past 15 years we have spent enormous amounts of energy and time and imagination and finances on restoring these buildings and making sure there were funds set aside for their continual upkeep. And that with the completion of the roof and the payment of that roof, we now are at a place where instead of just letting that energy go somewhere, we have an opportunity to refocus that energy and take it the pendulum and say, let's take that same kind of energy and think about and contemplate and engage the community about us. What does it mean to live in Asheville in Western North Carolina in 2017? What does it mean to be the community of all souls? What does it mean to be connected? What does it mean to be in relationship? And you'll hear more about that in August just in a few weeks out. But what this will be is a communal sojourn from one place to another. God calling us from one place to another, one set of understandings to another. And like Jacob, there will be those moments where perhaps we wonder if God's promise is real. Where we will feel frightened and vulnerable because we'll be seeing stories and hearing things that maybe we didn't know or didn't want to know or whatever. But like Jacob, we're being called from one place to another, and we're going to be right in between. And in that, we'll be invited to the dream. In that, we'll be invited to the ladder. And so Jacob is indeed in this desolate, stripped-down place where he realizes he is right in the heart and soul of the vibrant and active life of God. Why is it that the stripped-down places are the ones that reveal the most? And what keeps us connected to the dream?